You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA and sponsored in part by Forest Pharmaceuticals. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, professor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a certified medical director in long-term care. Is prescribing iron for an anemic patient sufficient treatment, or are there other issues that need to be addressed when caring for a patient with anemia? Joining us to discuss anemia in the long-term care setting is Dr. Charles Cephalou, clinical professor and chief of the section of geriatric medicine in the Department of Medicine at Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center. Welcome, Dr. Cephalou. Glad to be here. Before we begin, I want our audience to know that Dr. Cephalou was right there when Katrina hit. Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center was right at the heart of all the activity. He is one of the few physicians that was there throughout the evacuation and was one of the few physicians that has still been in New Orleans to care for the people he's loved most these many years. What are the causes of anemia in long-term care settings? Three major types, normocytic, microcytic, hypochromic, and, of course, megaloblastic. The most common type, I guess it's between one and two, the, the one we see very commonly is normocytic, normochromic anemia, that is with the normocytic, normochromic indices, and very frequently is the issue of chronic renal failure. And the way to identify that is to exclude other types based on the indices and then to look at other functions, such as liver and renal being very common with chronic renal insufficiency, calculated by either the Karatkov formula or the MRMD formula. Then you have rarer causes. I wouldn't say that rare, but the nutritional anemias of chronic disease from a normocytic, normochromic variety, you see that in dementia patients, chronic neurological disease. Another major type we see in the nursing home is microcytic hypochromic, which rarely can be seen with true iron deficiency unless there is a source of bleeding going on, let's say from the GI tract. But probably a more common is the microcytic hypochromic anemia that you see from one or two sources of both. That is chronic inflammatory disease, let's say a chronic infection, pressure ulcer, chronic UTI, chronic osteo and or malignancy or a combination thereof where you might have a mixed anemia where the patient has both a blood loss, iron deficiency type, and chronic inflammation or malignancy-associated anemia. Then lastly is your very rare megaloblastic type anemia, which you very rarely see unless you're dealing with something unobvious, maybe a megaloblastic anemia from, say, pernicious anemia. But that's probably the rarest type. So those are the major types of anemia. When was the last time you saw an acute anemia develop from a GI bleed or an acute anemia develop from a new hematologic malignancy? I would see that. We see that. I just saw that a couple of weeks ago. Now, when you say acute bleed, I wouldn't say necessarily acute where they're actually bleeding out with bright red rectal blood, either orally or rectally, but more of a slow bleed more subacute bleed where the patient actually has a malignancy as the primary source here from a microcytic hyperchromic variety, but they are also slowly bleeding into their GI tract from the malignancy itself. And that, that tends to be fairly common in our elderly population with comorbid illness. So we have to be ever vigilant, not only looking for the chronic causes and renal component to the anemia, 
but also GI malignancies and other deficiencies that might creep up on us. Absolutely. When we see a microcytic hyperchromic anemia like that, or even an, a normal cytic normochromic anemia early on that is chronic in the early stages, it can present with normal cytic normochromic indices until a while has occurred and enough bleeding has occurred to change the indices to microcytic hyperchromic. So you need to be really astute to the early diagnostic interventions such as stool for occult blood, even in the normal cytic normochromic varieties in this population. So not only do we have to have our antenna up to keep track of our older patients who might insidiously develop a problem, but with our older patients, they're all the more difficult to begin with. So what signs and symptoms do you look for for anemia in long-term care settings? Well, that it makes it even more difficult because they tend to be very nonspecific. Some of the symptoms you see with, quote, aging, you know, and that is fatigue, anorexia, decreased appetite, reduced function. These are all very nonspecific signs and symptoms that can go along with a lot of different illnesses, such as hypothyroidism and the like. So very difficult to, to pick up. Do you tune up your staff in any way to look for signs and symptoms of anemia? Or, or do families ever come forward saying, we're worried about mom and could she be anemic? Yes. I work from both issues. I certainly request communication and questions from the family about any signs or symptoms that might be attributable or caused by an anemia, and I also ask the nurses to let me know about any signs or symptoms, whether they're acute or specific or nonspecific, because that's important, and more specifically, to know if there is any sign of either cognitive or physical decline or both that would actually be a nonspecific sign or symptom of an onset of anemia. Well, there's a fair amount of science going on right now looking at anemia in long-term care populations and some of the impacts, especially the functional impacts. Is there a relationship between falls and anemia in the elderly? Yeah, we believe there's a, an association between decreased cognition and function falls specifically. Yes, reduced energy levels. I believe there's even association with angina and congestive heart failure. Not proven yet, but these are all associations we're aware of. And, and what about your workup for the anemia in the long-term care setting? How do you proceed? With the workup? Yes. Yes. Well, of course, the first thing is a hemogram which would include hemoglobin, hematocrit, the indices themselves, the differential, looking for any particular signs of abnormality on the peripheral smear, such as fragmented red cells, that might indicate something extremely rare, like a hemolytic process, the bilirubin level. So I will also combine that with liver function studies to make sure we're not looking at a hemolytic process. And any abnormalities of cells would indicate that. Of course, a stool for occult blood would always be part of the protocol as well, again, to look at the normocytic normochromic anemia with early signs of bleeding, and then, again, to reiterate uh, thyroid function studies to look for the rare hypothyroidism and renal functions to look for uh, renal failure. And I will also, when I am suspicious with a megaloblastic type setup, look for B12 and folate levels. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from Reach MD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. Eric Tangalos, and joining me to discuss 
Anemia in the Long-Term Care Setting is Dr. Charles Suffalu, Clinical Professor-in-Chief of the Section of Geriatric Medicine in the Department of Medicine at Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center. Charlie, let's keep talking about moving along with our workup and then the final diagnosis of anemia. How do you go about and either talk to families and talk to patients when you're really kind of satisfied that you've made a diagnosis? Well, depending on the etiology is which way we'll go, but I will always have a conversation with the family patient caregiver when the patient cannot communicate with the family caregiver that here's what we have here. But I will also target my conversation based on the patient's cognitive and physical function and their post-operative risk. So I will address the issue that they're anemic. I will address the possible causes and the most probable causes And then I will address the workup from a laboratory standpoint and tell the family and the patient caregiver that we will proceed, but if it looks like that we will need to do a radiological assessment and that might involve colonoscopy or radiographic evaluation, I will tell them that I will take into account the postoperative risk if we were to find something diagnostically in the colon if we go that route. And with that discussion then, I may decide not to do anything. Now, what I'm saying is we have a significant population in the nursing home that's both physically and cognitively impaired and dependent postoperatively. Any surgical intervention for any malignancy might prove to be an issue that we would not want to proceed with because of the mortality. Of course, that also puts you in a catch-22 situation that if you do nothing, the same may happen. But the key here is communication and documentation to the family about your workup and how far you want to proceed. So let's take a typical patient, not one with a malignancy, but somebody that's been there a long time, their hemoglobin's slowly been going down, they're close to 9, 9.0, they're in their late 80s, they're just kind of having the dwindles, their creatinine's now up to 1.6, 1.7, and they've already been on oral iron. What are you going to do with this person who, who just doesn't want to get better? That's a less complicated situation, and that situation is a more obvious cause, and we're not talking about malignancy and a more slow process, and I would tend to make the diagnosis of anemia secondary to chronic renal disease, and since the patient has already had a therapeutic trial of iron, I might proceed with a conversation to the patient family caregiver that there are some now therapeutic agents that are very effective when used that promote increased quality of life for that patient with reduction in fatigue, resolution of the anemia with careful monitoring of certain laboratory parameters with certain risks that are involved, such as worsening hypertension and the like, but a much simpler, less complicated targeted intervention where I communicate with the family and with their input and their agreement, then we proceed to use an erythropoietin, and there are several options along those lines. Now, what other outcomes have you seen with an iron program at your facility? Do you routinely let people take iron three times a day by mouth, or after a certain interval of time, drop them down to once a day? What Any standard plans that you follow? Well, what I will initially do, I will start them off with a two or three times a day protocol with the understanding that this 
drug can be constipating, of course, and that we will proceed for a period of about six to eight weeks with the two or three times a day regimen and then probably address the issue of iron stores, TIBC, serum iron with laboratory monitoring, and if it's sufficient, then drop them back to once a day as a maintenance dose. And at the same time, we start the iron regimen. We will consider agents that, to soften the bowel to prevent fecal impaction from occurring. Yeah, there's only so much you can do with the iron, and it certainly is important to keep that on the front burner. But I think when I prescribe it, especially to my outpatients, more of it goes into the toilet than through their bowel, and it's a more of a direct route. They just don't like it. It's very constipating. Yes, it's very constipating. And, of course, consistent with the Beers criteria, these drugs should really only be used maintenance once a day as well because of those complications. Well, since this discussion, we've talked about ESAs a bit. Do you ever use any IV iron in your facilities or for any of your patients? I tend not to because of the skill set of the nurses and also complicated by the fact that patients don't like parental iron and there is the issue of staining. There is the rare issue with uh, anaphylaxis, and it can be easily given orally. So we tend to refrain from that unless the patient is sent to the hospital and has an acute need for a loading dose of iron and a bleed, and then I would allow request the hospitalist to do that. I would like to thank my guest from Louisiana State University, Dr. Charles Cephalou. Dr. Cephalou, thank you very much for being our guest this week on Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. I enjoyed talking to you. You've been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA and sponsored in part by Forest Pharmaceuticals. For more information about this or any other ReachMD radio show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts. Thank you for listening. The American Medical Directors Association, AMDA, was founded in 1975 and today is the only national organization representing long-term care physicians and professionals. Our members care for patients in long-term care settings, including nursing homes, assisted living, hospice, and home care. AMDA has distinguished itself nationally with evidence-based pragmatic solutions for effective practice in long-term care settings. AMDA members are experts in the long-term care field who will address today's most relevant clinical and practice management issues. The 2009 AMDA core curriculum on medical direction in long-term care will take place in Miami, Florida in July and in Long Beach, California in September. To learn more and register for the AMDA core curriculum or other AMDA meetings, visit www.amda.com. And be sure to listen each week for Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, a weekly series exploring the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in long-term care medicine practice with host Dr. Eric Tangalos, exclusively on ReachMD.